But I wanted to share something with you that has been kind of on my heart, and um, it, it's not something that's easy for me to share because it quite it, it, honestly it just brings my own uh, my own fallibility, I guess, into play. And I just want to be transparent with you about some things, and um, and I and I want to do that in the in the in the hope that it will encourage you as well. If you uh, have been in the situation that I was in recently and maybe um, potentially could go into it, I want to encourage you. Um, so it's somewhat self-impunitive, self-punitive, self I guess. But um, I think that's okay. And uh, it's good for us to, to consider these things. Um, and specifically what I mean here is about uh, back in January, uh, the beginning of this month actually, around the 6th of January, you'll recall that we had um, the, it was the uh, getting together for the, the Congress got together and they uh, solidified or uh, verified the ele electorate for the, for the election. And I'm very much a patriot of our country, and I've made no apologies for that. And I still feel the same way. And without discouraging anybody else in the room who may have voted for the other candidate, um, I was a Trump supporter, and um, and I have, uh, and I would still be if he were still, you know, running. But the the reason I I, I bring this up is because. Right around that time when they were certifying the election, and without getting too far into this, um, I got a little too close to that whole thing. I, I, you know, the election and everything that was going on in our country, um, a little too close, I think, because it started to affect me. It started to cause me to be hateful, I think. It also... Uh, caused me to believe certain things that um, I found out later weren't true. And so there's a, there's a certain amount of gullibility here that I really am kind of heartbroken about. But I think, um, and I don't really consider myself to be too gullible in any way, but I fell prey to some information because it was uh, kind of like a perfect storm for me, you know. And maybe you felt the same way. I don't know if I'm making any sense to you at all tonight. So bear with me. But um, so due to that uh, fact uh, of, of falling prey to some information that I thought was true and, 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 and turned out not to be, there was a, a period of about four or five days where I just kind of came unhinged, honestly. And uh, it's not a moment that I'm proud of. Uh, I'm kind of embarrassed about it. But it was a time that I think the Lord was teaching me a lesson, uh, teaching me about something. And uh, more than one thing all at the same time, actually. But it was a quick run, meaning I think the Lord got through me, got through me what he wanted to do, and he did it in a very short time which I'm really glad because I found myself, like I said earlier, getting angry, uh, getting frustrated, um, finding myself really not good for anything. I certainly wasn't really good for my family and certainly for the body of Christ. I don't know if it, if, if it showed itself too much 
and hopefully only a small fraction of what I'm thinking. But um, it was something that um, I went through and hopefully will never go through again. And, um, and the thing was, is I saw our country going through something we've never experienced before. I've never experienced the things that we have gone through. And that became a little unnerving. Um, and I think what compounded it was seeing the mainstream media and social media propagating so much lies. Not only do that, but also censoring. And, and not only the mainstream media, but even conservative media. There was a lot of uh, stuff floating around that seemed true. There was video, everything. It, it seemed legitimate. And I should have known better. Uh, really, there's two pieces of information that I kind of fell for, and it was in a very short period of day, a short period of time. And uh, quickly, the Lord showed me what it, you know, that these things weren't true. And that really, and because of the censorship um, in the media of many voices, conservative voices especially, and our president at the time, it was like a perfect storm for something like that to happen, you know, because you weren't getting much. And when you did find out something, um, it seemed legitimate and could have been very legitimate, but turned out not to be legitimate. So I learned a great lesson that I don't want to repeat. I was deeply hurt by that very humiliated. Um, and again, most of this was just private. Um, and I'm bringing it out tonight because I think that I wasn't alone in, in some of these things. And, um, and my eyes weren't firmly fixed on the Lord at that time. I think I, my attention began to stray. Again, I got too focused on the political arena so I'm bringing this up, number one, to apologize to all of you for being a nutcase for a couple of days, especially. And, and you probably didn't see it, honestly, but privately I was kind of coming unhinged for a short period of time. But I say that because I, I, I also see in my fellow Christians also this gullibility as well. And we've got to be very careful in the time that we live in today you know, we can receive and accept information from a variety of different sources, but, um, and it's easy for us to do when it fits our narrative. And we, of all people, ought to be truth seekers. We ought to be vanguards for the truth. Not only the truth of the Word of God, certainly first and foremost, but just being very careful about the things that we hear and the things that we read and things that people send us. Um, you know, people send me all kinds of things. And most of them I don't listen to because right, I, I just don't have the time, but occasionally I will. And, and it's amazing how many things that are out there that aren't founded on any truth at all. And many of my brothers and sisters have taken it and taken it as truth and have run with it and have become um, discouraged, have become duped, I, I should say. And when we do that, our credibility suffers in the world. And so one of the things that the Lord really put on my heart was after this whole, my whole little episode that I had, and it was pretty private, is to really focus on the Word again. I mean, I, I've always been in the Word, but at that season, I mean, it's, it's been over for about three weeks now for me, or two and a half weeks, and I've really... Since then, I've gotten my head on straight, but at that time, my head wasn't on straight. 
And so, and I noticed that others weren't either. And so, I want to encourage all of you as well, as the Lord encouraged me, to get your eyes focused on Christ. Get it focused on the Word of God, nothing else. Because there's only one thing, there's only, there's very few things that are true in this world, but I can tell you one, and you're holding it in your lap. You know, Pastor Jeff, when he was here for so many years, and I was ministering under him, and now here I am, and the, the message is the same. Stay in the Word. Stay in the Word. Stay in the Word. Be in the Word. Live the Word of God. Don't just read it and, you know, deceive yourself thinking, well, if I just read it, then I'm good. No, you got to read it and then do it, right? We got to read it as if we have intention of doing something about what we read. And it's, let it be about you first instead of somebody else. Well, I read this passage. Boy, that really fits so-and-so. You know, maybe the Lord is trying to say, well, maybe that fits you. (laughs) <laughs> I'm so quick to look at other people rather than my own self. So let the Word of God be the searchlight, excuse me, for you in that way, and let that be. But we must be discerning, and we must be diligent in all that we do. And because of all of this, all of the censorship and all of this crazy stuff that was going on in the, in the media, mainstream media, and in social media, which I've gotten off all of that, by the way. I've totally canceled that out of my life. I don't want it anymore. I've got better things to do with my, my life, but I found myself getting caught up. But because of all the ob- ob- objectivity that had been thrown out the window, and because of all the censorship, I, you know, it, it got really maddening, actually. And for a thinking, rational person to see these things happening is really unsettling. And it's never really happened in our country that I can remember where the media, the social media giants, everybody was on the same page and they were censoring and they were doing things that I just, I could not believe that that this is happening in our country. And so that affected me. And um, so anyway, without beleaguering the point, which I already have, I want to encourage you to be diligent, be discerning, and be smart about what you do. Do your own checking about stuff. When somebody sends you something, check it out. Feel free to listen to it if you want, if you, if you do it all. But make sure you compare it to the Word of God. Compare it to what the Bible says. Make sure that it's true before you forward and send it on. I've known some really awesome pastors, really reputable men that have sent stuff to me that, that just is not true. And I've got to be careful to not do the same thing. I've got to be careful with what I, how I hear and what I hear. And anymore, I'm just like, Lord, all I want to hear is your voice. All I want to hear is you. I want to hear your word. Nothing else. So be encouraged in that. If any of that resonates with you in my mumbo-jumbo here, this is very off the cuff, but I'm just being very transparent and honest with you. Consider your sources and the things you're listening to and watching. And before you hit that send button, make sure that it's true. And if you can't verify if it's true, and whatever it is, don't send it. Don't submit your brothers and sisters to the same thing because if you've got credibility and you send something to someone, they're going to think that it's true because it came from you. I've had stuff sent to me by men much greater than I am. I don't really consider myself to be that great, honestly, but you know what I'm saying, men who are more reputable in, 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 in many ways. And so it's something that we've got to be careful of. 
We're going to look at a number of passages tonight. We're going to take communion as well tonight, but I want to just share with you some things in the Word of God. The first one is in Matthew 7, and you can just write these references down, and I'll just read them to you, okay, for the sake of time. But it's Matthew 7, uh, beginning in verse 15. And again, this is uh, timely, I think, for all of us, because even in the church, I mean, outside of the church, we can expect crazy things. We can accept or expect, I should say, falsehood, things that just aren't true. But even in Christendom, even in the church, and when I say church, I don't mean necessarily this church, but in, in the church in America, not everybody is discerning and not everybody is being very careful. But Jesus said in Matthew 7, beginning in verse 15, he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. You watch their life. You watch the things they say, the things that they do, and they quickly reveal who they really are. And they reveal the source of their devotion. They really uh, reveal themselves in a very short period of time. You know, it's that old phrase that Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If I fill myself with a bunch of falsehood, then ultimately that's going to be coming out. It's going to be spewing out of my mouth. You know, and and, and so it's important that we read the Word of God, that everything that comes out of our mouth is going through the Holy Spirit filter. It's going through our heart filter that he's got control of, hopefully, and especially through our mouth filter. Before I open my mouth, I want to make sure that I've got good things to say. I want to say something that's encouraging to you all, something that's not going to bring you down. But, but Jesus said, Beware of false prophets, for they will come to you in sheep's clothing. They'll look like a sheep. They'll sound like a sheep, but their diet is very different. They like to eat sheep, <laughs> but sheep don't eat sheep. Have you ever seen a sheep with teeth? Go up to a sheep sometime and open its, you know, if, if, you, if you ever or have somebody who owns sheep show you their teeth. They don't really have teeth. They, they just got this little bar of something, and it, 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 they, they, they could gum you to death, maybe, but they're not going to tear you. They're, they're, they're like, you know, you know, helpless. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? And the rhetorical question is obviously no. He says, even so, every good tree that bears fruit, or every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. That makes sense to us. The tree is not healthy, it's not going to bear good fruit, but if it's healthy, it's going to bear good fruit. He says, a good tree cannot bear good fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, you will, by their fruits, you will know them. We can't, we're not supposed to judge, but we can look at fruit, can't we? Isn't that what Jesus is saying? You can know them by their fruits. But, you know, it's not for us to know whether ultimately where they're going to go, whether they're going to go to heaven or hell, but we can look at their fruit and say, there's something about that that I don't think is right. And maybe it's obvious, maybe it isn't, maybe it's veiled and it takes some time to figure it out, but you'll know them by their fruits. And so this is why we live in a culture, we live in a time in our country, and this, and this dispensation of time before Jesus returns for his bride, the church, where deception is at its height, and it's going to get worse and worse and worse. Do you understand? And I got a taste of it this last, you know, in January 6th. Around that time frame, I was kind of in it, full bore. 
And um, I tell you what, it was the most incredibly deceiving time that I've ever experienced in my life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, Paul said to them, he says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits or good morals. So again, you know, you know the things that I take in in my, in my eyes, the things that I do, the, things that I, the people I hang out with, that's going to corrupt me if they're evil. So that begs the question then, what am I doing with my time that I'm listening or the, the, the times that I'm, what am I watching, what am I listening Am I really taking in the good things, positive things? And like I said, this whole episode that I had of four or five days specifically, it really rattled me. I, did, I became unhinged until the Lord broke me, and I wept in tears convulsively. I'm not kidding. For a couple days at different times. And the Lord was just urging me. He says, you know, I know you're a patriot. I know you love your country. But Rob... You need to be about this. You need to be about the word of God. That is the only thing. That's the only thing that's going to change anything. So you, you do this. This is what I've called you to do. <laughs> I got the point. I got the point. Never want to go back there again. So we need to be vanguards of the word and, not, and let's be about nothing but the truth in this fellowship. Challenge yourself to be nothing, be about nothing but the truth. Let your life be about the truth. The truth of the word of God, certainly, but in truth and everything in life, even secular things, if I can use that. I mean, nothing is really, you know what I mean, everything is to, the God, to God, it's all important. There's nothing really secular in your life. Every, you're, you're, everything is sacred if you're a Christian. Let everything be about the truth. In Matthew 24, Jesus, if you remember, he was talking to his disciples, and this was called the Olivet Discourse. And they call the Olivet Discourse because Jesus addressed his disciples, Peter, uh, James and John, and I think Andrew, on the Mount of Olives, which is just opposite of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Uh, we were just at the Mount of Olives not too long ago, or this last March, actually, uh, which I guess is quite a ways ago now. Uh, we were there, and uh, he spoke to his disciples, and he spoke this, um, and he talked about the end times, specifically the second coming of Christ and the signs that are coming before Jesus physically comes to the earth. It's a very Jewish passage. But one of the things that he said to his disciples, and let me just read to you the first four verses, it says that Jesus went out and he, he departed from the temple, which is just west of the Mount of Olives, and his disciples came to show him the buildings of the temple because Herod had built this huge, um, you know, he, he enlarged the temple complex and, and really made it a work of art. I mean, it was really one of the wonders of the world, actually. And so his disciples come, and they, they, they were showing him the buildings and just going on about how beautiful all this. And Jesus said to them, verse 2, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. And he was speaking specifically of 
when the Romans, just maybe 35 years or 37 years from that moment that he was speaking to his disciples, Jesus knew that in about 37 years in 70 AD, the Roman legions would level the place and they would torch it. They'd burn everything and they'd kill many of the Jews. And Titus Vespasian would come in and wreak havoc on Jerusalem. It was, just, it was a destruction. And then he goes on with them. So Jesus is telling them that, that that's, that's certainly going to happen. And they, they, they really didn't know at the time. It says, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when these things shall be and what shall be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. And again, even though Jesus here is speaking about the end of the age, speaking before his second coming, I think this verse, verse 4, that we're going to look at right now is very critical for us today. Has always been, actually, but in light of the topic I'm covering tonight, notice Jesus answered them. He says, take heed that no one deceives you. That was one of the hallmarks of that time period that is still yet future to us. He says, take heed that no one deceives you. And deception is something that is very rampant today. The, the Greek word is planeo, and it literally means to seduce or to be out of the way, to go astray, to wander, to be out of the way. That's literally what it means. And when somebody does that, that's exactly what they're doing. They're seducing you. They're trying to get you out of the path. They're trying to get you out of the way. And what did Jesus say? Narrow is the way. Narrow is the way. And narrow is the gate that leads to, to, to life. But wide is the gate and wide is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be that are on that path. And on that wide path, there's all kinds of deceptions galore. You recall back in Genesis chapter 2, after God had made all things and he finally placed Adam in the garden and God gave him the, the job of naming all the creatures that God had made. And God gave him something to consider in verse 15 of chapter 2. He said, Then the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. So he had a job to do. And it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. And I imagine that garden was probably the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. Before the fall of man. Because the fall of man, we know, kind of... Uh, uh, Ruin kind of everything. But this beautiful garden full of trees and fruit. And God says, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Literally, it means in dying you will die. So he, they, at that moment when, and, and we're going to see to it, because notice what it says in Genesis chapter 3. Right after that, it says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Eve, Adam's wife, the only other person in the garden at the time. Can you imagine that? I, I, I love the thought of Adam and Eve. You know, did they have belly buttons? I don't think they did. Think about it. It's kind of weird to think about. You've got a belly button because you had an umbilical cord attached to your mother's uh, you know, body, you know, inside, but they didn't have one. God made them. So there they are, you know. But anyway, the woman said to the serpent, 
We may eat the fruit. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me go back to verse 1. The serpent was more cunning than any other beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, and evidently the serpent talking to Eve doesn't seem to be like a big deal, which means that there probably was a communication between the animal kingdom that we don't have now. That's the only thing I can think of is because wouldn't you, if a serpent spoke to you, wouldn't you be like freaking out? So it didn't seem to bother her too much, so things may have been different. But he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. So she takes what God had told Adam. Certainly Adam shared that with Eve, and now she adds something to it. Did you notice? Yeah, he didn't say don't touch it. I mean, it's a good idea not to touch it because that's just a next step, isn't it? When you see something you like, you're like, you know, like a kid in a candy store, you know, you know, and they just walk over to the, you know, the lollipops. Don't touch it. If you, if you don't touch it, the temptation won't be so bad. But she adds something to it. But then he responds. He says, he says, um, the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so the woman takes it. She's deceived by the devil, the serpent. We know this because in Revelation that we were just in, on Sunday mornings, we're in the book of Revelation, and it defines who that old serpent is. It is the devil and Satan. So here is Satan in the garden, a very real place. It was a real place. This is not a story. And deceives Eve tells her what she wants to hear, tells her what she would like to hear, and plays on those same problems that we have, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. All three of these things, the devil came and deceived her. She was deceived, and it tells us that, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, a desirable tree to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. All three of those things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. She also gave to her husband and, 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 she, and he ate. So he just sinned. She was deceived, but Adam sinned. Then the eyes of them both were opened. And in the culture we live in, you know, the devil is seeking to deceive Men and women. He doesn't care who he gets a hold of. I think often the Lord, or I'm sorry, the, the devil looks for the weakest link. And the Bible tells us that the woman is the weaker vessel. It doesn't mean that she's uh, inferior in any way, but she's just, she's a weaker vessel. Emotionally, she's a little more fragile than a man. Many men, anyway. And so she's the weaker vessel. He always goes after the woman first. Most of the time in my life, I find that the devil goes after my wife and my daughter before he comes after me. He, but he wants to come after me, too, and he does. But he usually goes after them first. That's how low he is. That's how ungentlemanly-like he is. And honestly, if it was just him and I, I would be no match for him because he would tear me apart, apart from Christ. Apart from Christ, I'd be nothing in his and I was. Before Christ, I was just uh, given to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. I was a sitting pawn in Satan, and so were all of you. 
But once you became a Christian and you got the Spirit of God indwelling you, all of a sudden there's a new ranger in town in your heart. And the devil can't take that away from you. All he can do now is mess with you. If you're a Christian, he'll mess with you. He'll tempt you because he wants to destroy your reputation. He wants to destroy your witness. But he loves to deceive. He's always looking for the weakest link. Do you remember the movie Jurassic Park? Has anybody seen Jurassic Park? Do you remember the first one, the first movie that they had? There was a moment in the film where the velociraptors, these very quick and cunning creatures, very intelligent, or at least they portrayed them that way. Maybe they were that way. I don't know. Um, but they were testing the fence that they were in, this great big huge complex. And they were testing the fences, and they were looking for vulnerabilities. And then they, would all, they were all systematically testing the, in, the vulnerabilities of the fence until they found an area that was vulnerable. Then they would all go through it and break through. Similar thing with the devil. He is always seeking those things. He's always seeking to deceive us. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, it says, Paul speaking to his protege Timothy, he says, now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, and by the way, we're living in the latter times. I don't know if you knew that. Ever since Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected and ascended into heaven, from that moment until now, we have been in the last days. We are in the last days until Christ comes. So the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. Why? They were going to give heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And we see this even today. People departing from the faith. Christians that have called themselves Christians for years that are, have been deceived by doctrines of demons. Even pastors of churches that have been deceived by doctrines of demons. Deceiving spirits... In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul speaks to Timothy again, and he says, But know this, that in the last days which we live in, see if any of these names, or these modifier, or these uh, subjects, mean something to you. He says, But know this, and this is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, Know this, that in the last days, the days that we're living in, and even further, perilous times will come. I think we've, been, we've seen some perilous times, haven't we? For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of themselves, narcissistic, loving themselves and looking at themselves, thinking only of themselves. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. They'll be boasters. They'll be proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Have we seen that on an, on a, even upticking as time has gone on? Unthankful. We live in a most unthankful culture, unholy. We certainly see that. Unloving, unforgiving, slanders without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power. And from such people turn away. Those are the days we live in. Paul, when he was writing to the Thessalonians in his first letter that he wrote to them, he talked to them about a number of things, but one of them was about the return of Christ, meaning the, the, certainly the, the rapture of the church and also the second coming. 
In his first letter in chapter 5, he says, The day, he says, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, that you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. We've often heard the, the idea of the rapture being so quick, and it's, it's like a thief in the night. It happens very quickly. And sometime between the first and second letter that Paul wrote, he wrote that in his first letter, and then people came in to the Thessalonians at that time in the first century and began to confuse them. And because Rome was in power at the time and they were undergoing great persecution, these poor believers were believing because of what they saw around them and their persecutions and the horrible things that were happening. They thought that they were in the tribulation period that Paul had talked about, which is still yet future to us, isn't it? But somebody came in, people came in and says, well, the rapture has already occurred. You missed it. And so Paul had to write another letter. And he wrote Second Thessalonians. That was his second letter to these, this church in Thessalonica. And what did he say to them? It was a, a rebuttal for that false doctrine that they had heard. And he said, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be so, so not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come, because people were falsifying Paul's letters and, and writing as if he was speaking to them when he wasn't. It was a great deception that people are doing. And the devil loves to do that because Paul was a sold-out disciple of Jesus Christ, an apostle. And anything that anybody could do, anything the devil could do to undermine what the message of Paul they were trying to do. But he says, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin be revealed. The son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that's called God or that is worship so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. So this antichrist that we've been talking about in Revelation, he is going to do that very thing. But the church, um, you know, if, 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 the church has to be removed before he is revealed. Otherwise, we'd spot him out in a heartbeat. It would be a day or two and every... every person in the, in the world who's a church member, a real true follower of Christ, would be able to pick this man out. And so they were confused because of all the persecution. They thought they were going through it. And he says, no. He says, they're not. You're not going through that. The rapture hasn't happened yet. He says, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Have you noticed the mystery of lawlessness being at work today? It's very much at work today. Only he who now restrains will do so until he be taken out of the way. Who is he speaking of? The Spirit of God indwelling you, Christian. Because once we are removed from this planet, there's going to be a, a whole cesspool wave, tsunami coming in of every evil thing that you can think of. We are the only ones that are actually putting, we are the thumb, the finger in the dike to keep it from spewing out everywhere. But once we're removed, there's going to be no light as far as believers is concerned, we're going to be removed. And the filthy agendas are going to come in like a storm, like never before, when we are removed. And that's what he's talking about. He says, 
For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains the Spirit of God will restrain until he is taken out of the way, until we are removed off this planet. And then it says, and then the lawless one, then this Antichrist will be revealed, this deceiver whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. We looked at that in Revelation chapter 19 recently. And the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and what? Lying wonders. And see, this is the age that we live in, deception. The age of deception, it's always been that way, honestly, for quite a long time. But as we get closer to the return, the physical return of Christ, these things are going to ramp up. And we're already seeing them. And the rapture hasn't even occurred yet. Because we know that the the church has to be raptured before Jesus' second coming. And the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs. Notice that, all power. God's going to allow him all power. Not all of his power, but I'll just take it what it says. It says it right here, doesn't it? He's going to give him, that's why he's going to be able to deceive those on the earth. All, all power, signs, and lying wonders with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive what? The love of the truth. Underline that, that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all might be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That is an amazing passage, folks. An amazing passage. Not receiving the love of the truth. You know, that's why, you know, as I talked about tonight, about being deceived and loving the truth. Do you love the truth? And notice these people that he's talking about here, these people who will be um, in a very bad place, they will not receive the love of the truth. The greatest thing you can do if loving somebody is to tell them the truth. If somebody is lying to me, they don't love me. If I have a family member who's always lying to me, and, and, and there's, there's a, I have a family member, not in my own house, of course, but um, I have a family member who is always lying to me. And there's no relationship, is there? I'd love for there to be a relationship, but it's based on falsehood. Can never trust this person. Anything they say, I can't trust. And therefore, there's no foundation. But do you love the truth? Love the truth in all, love all, all truth. Love it. And be Bereans. Be Bereans in everything you see, everything you watch. Be a Berean. Didn't Paul admonish the Bereans in Acts chapter 17? He admonished them because when he came into their town in Berea, they didn't just take what he said as gospel. They listened to him, and then they searched the scrolls. They searched the Old Testament to see if these things were so. See, we need to do that now, and we've got a great advantage because we not only have the Old Testament, but we have the New Testament. More important now than ever before to have our nose in the Word of God. And you know, it's my favorite thing. I get to spend hours in the Word every day, and I love it with all my heart. The more I read it, the more I, the more I study it, the more I love it. And honestly, I'm having the time of my life. There's nothing I love more than the Word of God. Obviously, Jesus Christ, but he's the Word of God. So, what is the remedy for all of this stuff that we've been talking about? 
hasn't been really great news, has it? Well, the remedy is very simple, to follow Jesus. Remember, in John's Gospel, Peter had a really hard time, and I can relate to Peter, because I find that, especially when I was younger, you know, I'm not that old, but when I was younger, I was very impetuous. As I get older, I'm less impetuous, I'm less spontaneous. But Peter said to the Lord, and this is in John chapter 13, beginning in verse 36, and I want to read this up to the point that I really want to get because I think it's helpful to see where Peter was at. So Peter said to Jesus, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him and says, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sakes. And there's the boastful arrogance, the, the pride, the impetuous nature of Peter, which I love, honestly. He's a very genuine guy. Jesus said, will you lay down your life for my sake, Peter? And I, I just wondered the expression on Jesus' face. Lord, I'll, I'll lay down my life. Will you? Will you do that, Peter? Because most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. And Peter is shattered, boasting in his bravado and his love for Christ and then not realizing his own weakness. And then Jesus, immediately following that, you notice there's a chapter break there, chapter 13 and 14, but it goes on. Sometimes I think the chapters can kind of make you think that it's a whole new scene, but he's still speaking to Peter. And what did he say to him? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, Peter. When, I'm, when I die and I resurrect on the third day, I'm going to be with you for another 40 days, and then I'm going to ascend to heaven, and I'm going to be there until I come back for the church in the rapture. He says, I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come again and receive you along with the rest of the church, to myself, that where I go, you know, and, and the way you know. And then Thomas, who was there, he said to him, Lord, how, we do not know where you are going, and, and, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said the thing, this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. He says, I am the way. How are we going to know the way, Thomas says. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. And no man comes unto the Father except through me. In the original language, what it really meant was I am the only way, I am the only truth, and I am the only life. So there is our remedy for the days that we live in today. Follow Christ. Follow the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He's everything. He's everything. Follow him. Give your heart completely to him. In John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, he says, If you abide in my word, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That's another wonderful scripture. Know the truth, and the truth will set you free. When you know the truth, you will not be able to be deceived. It's going to be much harder for the devil to deceive you when all you are sticking your nose in is the truth, and especially if you're living the truth. It's almost like Job. You remember Job? The devil comes before God in heaven. It's recorded for us in Job chapter 1, also in chapter 2. 
The devil approaches the throne of God. Can you imagine the gall? And he talks about, he asks the devil, what are you doing? He says, oh, going to and fro throughout the earth. And the Lord says, have you considered my servant Job? Job was a trophy in God's trophy case. Righteous man, a godly man. The man had his guard up. He did the sacrifices for his children just in case they messed up. He was a godly man. And he says, have you considered my servant Job? And the devil says, and you recall what it's recorded in Job. He says, well, of course I've considered him, but I can't get to him. You've set a hedge about him. He's, and, the, and the Lord allows him for a season and with a measured response to tempt Job and to take things away from Job. But know the truth, and it will make you, it shall make you free. When you know the real thing, you know, bakers don't sit around all day. You know, bank tellers, they don't sit around playing with monopoly money and fake counterfeit bills. No, they handle the real thing so much that they can be doing this like this, and all of a sudden they're like, wait a minute. They back up two bills. Hmm. Yep, it's a fake. They know the real thing so much that they can pick out the counterfeit. It doesn't feel right. There's, I mean, they, they, they feel the fibers in the, in the, in the, in the money. They feel the, the, the parchment that it's, that it's printed on. They can smell the ink. Something's different. Something's not right. The color of it, the feel of it. Know the truth and it will make you free. Therefore, if the sun makes you free, you are free indeed. I remember that day when I gave my heart to Christ. I became free for once from all of my mess that I had made of my life. Maybe you can relate. So the remedy is to know Jesus, to draw close to him, to know him, to abide in him, and also to put on the armor of God. You remember in Ephesians, and we're going to take communion here in just a few minutes, but in Ephesians, uh, it's a letter that Paul wrote to the believers, the church at Ephesus in Asia Minor. He wrote a letter called Ephesians. And so what did he tell them? Now remember, Paul, as he's writing this letter, he's chained to a Roman soldier there in the, in the, in the, in the dungeon, in the prison. He's chained to probably a couple of them, right? And Paul's looking at these men and their garb that they're wearing, and he starts to put spiritual terms around these things. And he's like, you know what? This is like, this makes sense to me. This is exactly how we're supposed to defend ourselves against the devil. The very things that these guys are wearing to protect their physical bodies and to be on the defensive and, and to be on the offensive, he says every one of those things spiritually makes sense. And he goes through it. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And notice what he tells them, this church. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Did you ever notice that? We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. If it was flesh and blood, it would be a, a bloody battle, but it would be easy to see. Because an enemy that you can see, you can plan an attack. But there's an enemy that we can't see, who's invisible to us in the spiritual realm. And he can manipulate. He can get into our heads and our minds and even possess a person, not a believer, but he can possess a person. And we've heard of demon possession. The Bible talks about demon possession. 
But you and I, all they can do is mess with us, frustrate us, make us angry, cause us to sin if we're not careful, discourage us. But notice, Paul says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It'd be easy if it was. I just get a bigger gun, right? I mean, think of it. If, you have, if you're going against a foe and they've got a, you know, a little three, you know, a little 38, you better get a 44 Magnum. Get the 12-inch Clint Eastwood battle, you know, and get the hat on and the whole, have doubles on both sides, you know. And, uh, you know, you take care of business. That's the way they do it in Texas. <laughs> so, he says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against, notice, principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, demonic beings. These, this is really what we're up against. And therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Notice he doesn't even tell you to go on the offensive. Just stand. Just stand your ground. Stand your ground. You don't have to go out and cut people's heads off. Just stand your ground and share the word of God. You don't have to go and attack anybody. You just stand your ground and you speak the word. Notice these different things. He says, stand therefore. And notice in verse 14 here, as he's looking at this Roman soldier, or maybe even a couple of them that he's chained to, he says, stand therefore, having, your, having girded your waist about with truth, having Put on the breastplate of righteousness, and that covers your heart, the things that, are, that affect your emotions, your heart. Are you protecting those things? And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, are you ready? Are you willing to share the gospel? Your feet take you places. Are you willing to open your mouth when you go to the doctor's appointment, when you go to get your oil changed, when you're standing in the line at Wegmans getting your, your, your items rung up by the, ta- the cashier? Your feet have brought you there. Are you prepared to look around and to think, you know what, I've got a few moments. Can I just look around and tell somebody that, hey, Jesus loves you? Try it sometime. You'll find, you'll find out what spiritual warfare is. Because you're not going to want to do it. You're standing in line. And you know what? I would encourage you to get, out of, get beyond yourself. I've shared this story. And it's so true. It's so wonderful. I remember when my daughter was real little and she was in her uh, chair, her seat, and I was pushing her. We used to grocery shop every Friday. And we've been talking to her about the Lord ever since she was, before she was born. And I remember her standing in line. There was an African-American woman. You've probably heard this story before. But we're sitting there, and I'm busy unloading the cart, and I'm thinking about her because she's there, and my wife's at work, and it was my day off. And so I'm doing the grocery shopping. I'm putting all the stuff on the cart, and I'm totally oblivious to anything. And this woman, this African-American woman, was, was the cashier. And my daughter just happened to look over, and she goes, Do you know that Jesus loves you? Just as simple as that. And this woman stopped and dead in her tracks. And her face started to contort. She started to cry. And, and I talked to her after. She goes, I used to be a believer. Or, I, I, you know, I was, I'm a believer and I have backslidden so far. And your daughter just reminded me what it was all about. <laughs> Amazing. 
Have your sheet, your, your sheet flawed, your, your shod, <laughs> getting dyslexic here. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Notice, above all, taking the shield of faith. What is this? And, and with which you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. All those lies and things that he tells you. These are like little darts that are flying past you. And they're coming for your heart to wound you mortally. It could be drug addiction. It could be pornography. It could be lies. It could be whatever it may be. And these darts are coming at you, telling you that you're no good, that God has done with you. You've made too many mistakes. You're useless to him. You can't possibly be a Christian. I mean, after all the mistakes that you've made, all these darts are flying and you sit there with a shield of faith. And the shield of faith says, I'm a child of God and I'm not a perfect person, but I know that the one I serve is perfect and he has redeemed my soul. Go away. That's the way you need to be. The shield of faith says, I know who I am in Christ. I know what he's done for me. And you can't take that away. So hit the road. And the helmet of salvation. A helmet covers your head where your thought life is. How is your thought life? Is your thought life completely consumed by filthy, awful things? Or is your mind being renewed, as it tells us in, in Romans chapter 12? Renew your mind. Let the Word of God renew your mind. Let it wash you. That's what it does. And the more you read it, the more you're going to have less of an appetite for all the filth and the perversion and the gross stuff that's all around us. It's trash. It's like the, you know, it's like, do you want to feed at a table where there's, you know, wonderful food out in front of you? Or do you want to look at the banana peel that's been rotting in the gutter for four weeks and it's all black and moldy? But see, people choose that black, moldy banana peel. When God says, why don't you come to the table? I've given you so much better. Why are you feasting on this nonsense? Haven't I given you good provender? Isn't he the good shepherd? A, shepherd? a good shepherd gives his sheep good food. And that's what this is. The helmet of salvation and finally the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Remember when Jesus comes back in Revelation 19, what comes out of his mouth? I believe this is figurative, but he says a sword comes out of his mouth and consumes all those enemies at Armageddon. I believe it's his word. And it says, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The same word that spoke all things into existence. Let there be light. Let there be this. Let there be that. Let there be man. And all these things came to pass because God spoke them into existence. At one point in the future, he's going to speak it all out of existence before he creates a new heaven and a new earth after the great white throne judgment, the same word that he spoke and says, let there be, he's going to say, let there not be. <laughs> let it be gone, and it's going to dissolve with fervent heat, as Peter tells us, and also Isaiah. So, what's my point? Stay in the word. Stay in the Word of God. Let it be the, 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 delight, the delight of your life. Spend as much time in it as you can. 15 minutes, 20 minutes, a half hour, whatever you can. Do it and increase the time that you spend in the Word of God. And, and, and get a commentary if you have to. Pray over it. Read it. Let it zap you. <laughs> Let it encourage you. Let it wound you. Share it with others. Get into commentaries if you don't understand what's, what it's being spoken of there. Start in the Gospels and read the Gospels. Read the Psalms. Very easily entreated those passages and those books. Read them. 
Read them often. Reread them because it's a living word and God will speak to you one word today and he'll show you something new tomorrow in the very same passage. That's the way he works. And don't be fearful. We live in a very fearful time. Many people are fearful. John tells us in his first epistle in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 18, there is no fear in love. In true love, in agape love that God wants to give to you, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. As Christians, we don't have to be fearful. There may be times where we have fear, and that's a God-given thing. But when our whole life is governed by fear, we've got a problem. We've got to go back to the source. We've got to go back to Jesus. Don't let your life be governed by fear. Remember what David said, and we'll end here, and we'll take communion. What he said in Psalm 23. He says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Notice it's the shadow of death. It's not even death itself. It's just a shadow of death. Do you see the difference? It'd be one thing to be fearful of death. I mean, who wouldn't be fearful of death in a sense? We don't like the process. But he says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's not even the real thing. It's just the shadow of it. It's not the real thing. It's the, it's the image of it. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Notice what he says. I will fear no evil. And why? For you, God, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. A good shepherd would have a rod and he would have a, a staff that was shaped like this to bring the sheep in when they got too close to a cliff. Or he had the other end of it or another rod where he would strike wolves or bears. And he would swat them with it. He would use it as an offensive weapon. And he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. It's a plentiful supply. He daily loads us with benefits, doesn't he? And it says in the Psalms, let your heart be overflowing with good, God's goodness. As you read those Psalms, and you're like, oh my goodness, God. I can relate to David so much with all of his mistakes. And he finally, he says in verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David, even with all of his mistakes, knew that he was forgiven and that he was going to heaven. And Ezekiel tells us that he'll also be resurrected, and he will have a place in the millennial kingdom, serving perhaps as a co-regent or something with Jesus. You can read it. So be encouraged in a, in a world full of craziness, in a world of deceit and fear. Let the word of God be your stay. Let it be your stability. Let it be the thing that you run to. Let him be the one that you run to whenever you're fearful, whenever you're struggling, whenever the devil is throwing those darts at you. And you're getting hit, and you're getting hit, and you're laying on the ground, and you're practically bleeding out because you haven't taken the time to read. God is able to protect you, but you know what? You've got to, there's a part of it that we have to do too, right? We have to search him out, seek him out, stay in the word, stay in the word, stay in the word. Amen? Amen. Why don't we have Gina come up and... Uh, She's going to lead us in a song of worship, and if you could, um, come up and grab the bread and the cup, and then bring it back to your seat, and we'll take it together, okay?